Okay, we are continuing along the, along the chronological life of Jesus, and we are in Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. And remember, this is still the Tuesday of the final week of Jesus' life. The Tuesday of, uh, of the, that final week. And this is the testing period for the Lamb of God. They would set aside the Lamb on a Monday, and from Monday through to that Thursday into the Friday, they would test that lamb to make sure it was without spot and blemish. So this is a testing period for Jesus. They don't realize exactly that they're testing the Messiah, but, but this is exactly what's happening. So in Matthew chapter 22, reading from verse 15, Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and you teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said, to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. Okay, so the Pharisees are trying to test him, and actually trying to get him to be found guilty of sedition. Because Israel at the time was under the Roman government. They were obliged to pay taxes, something that they had to do. They had to pay taxes to the Roman government. But there was a feeling in Israel, and there was a teaching among the Pharisees, that if you pay taxes, you are in some way dishonoring God. Because God is king, and when you pay taxes to the king Caesar, you are in some way dishonoring God. The Pharisees still paid their taxes. They would pay their taxes usually to a Jewish tax gatherer. So they felt that they were paying not to Caesar. They were just giving it to, to some Jewish man who they didn't particularly like, but it wasn't to Pharisee him, the Pharisees himself. And that's how they would do it by some backdoor route. Uh, and, and in some way they were able to then justify themselves. But the Pharisees plotted together to trap him. Because if he says that it's okay to pay taxes to Caesar, then they're going to try to put him in a bad light amongst the people by saying that he's a traitor. If he says, no, don't pay taxes to King Caesar because God is your king, God the Father is the king, then it would, it would, uh, uh, then it, it, it would give them a cause to accuse him of sedition and have him arrested by the Romans. And it, so it says in, in, in verse 16, and they sent their disciples to him. So that's the disciples of the Pharisees. So they sent some disciples who didn't quite look like these old Pharisees yet. And along with the Herodians. So this is very interesting company now. Herodians were people, were Jews, that followed King Herod. Now, So you had King Caesar was over the Roman Empire. But Herod had been given the title... Uh, uh, King Herod, the father, the, the father of the Herods who are alive now uh, at this time, had been given the, the title of king, and he became Jewish. So he had not been a Jew, but he started following the Jewish practices. Now, he wasn't a very faithful Jew, but 
that he became, he did observe a lot of the Jewish customs. He would, for example, not eat pork. This was King Herod. And then, and then, uh, uh, but he was a very vicious man. Remember, he had every male child killed in uh, the city of Bethlehem, thinking that he would, he would get uh, Jesus. So he wouldn't eat pork, but he'd kill every male child from two years old and younger. And so King Caesar had even said of Herod the father uh, um, that it is safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. Because Herod had had several of his sons executed and his favorite wife executed because he was paranoid. Well, at this time, this is the, there were Herodians, people who followed the family of Herod. They were Jews and they said that, yes, indeed, um, uh, it is okay to follow Herod because he's now Jewish. The Pharisees didn't go along with this at all. And so there was always controversy between the Herodians, who were Jews, followers of the house of Herod, and Pharisees who were not followers of the house of Herod or of the parent country Rome. And so for them to, to come together was really quite unusual, but they both wanted to trap this Jesus. So uh, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and you teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. And so it, it's, it's interesting what he says here, that, that they're, what they're doing is they're, they're uh, flattering him. And so they're saying, well, you know, you're really a great teacher. We know that you're truthful and you teach the way of God in truth. You defer to no one. And Jesus is like, I have never heard this before from you guys. Something's got to be up. I mean, you've got to be up to something. So they say, tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said to them, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Jesus was never shy about saying the way he felt about a situation. And he, he, you know, so when people say, you know, sometimes I might try to talk to people about the Lord or something and they, told, they tell me I've offended them. I'm, I'm like, compared to what Jesus has said, I was really very mild. Um, but but uh, um, so, so they wanted to know, is it okay to pay the poll tax? But Jesus perceived their malice. He said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. Now, the coin used for the poll tax, there was this, this tribute coin, and it had the inscription of Caesar on it. So the Pharisees would never carry that coin, nor could they give those coins as donations in the temple because it carried the inscription of Caesar. So they had to, so they had to send for somebody to bring one of those tribute coins to him. And he said, whose inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And when we stand back and we see what an intelligent and wise answer this was, he says, it's got, Jesus, it's got Caesar's inscription on it. Give it back to him. You must own it. It's got his inscription. Give it to him. But also render to God the things that are God. And so you see that what the Pharisees did is they had assumed that you could not pay taxes. And Jesus comes and he says, you can pay taxes. It's okay. Remember God and it's okay to pay the authority tax of the land. So they had put a whole religious teaching around the fact that you couldn't pay taxes where their scriptures never said you couldn't do this. We do the same thing. 
we get some view in our mind and somehow we make it now a theological issue. And we then start proclaiming things that God never proclaimed. I'll I'll give you an example, and probably there's very few or none of you in here who have this, but you'll meet somebody, people like this. So people have come up to me and they say, you you know, we really should be vegetarians. And I'm like, if you want to be a vegetarian, that's fine. I have certain eating restrictions that I put upon myself, but they'll say, no, this is scriptural. I'm like, it's not scriptural. But they have somehow made this now a theological issue. To make it a theological issue and put it upon others is called legalism. To take a practice and put it upon yourself is fine. You can eat vegetables. You can eat carrots only. It's not a problem. You can do whatever you like. But it's when you put it upon others and don't say God made you eat carrots only or God made you eat vegetables only. So, so we have to always be, be, be wary of this. But what Jesus is establishing here is he's establishing two different lines of authority. One is an authority from God. Another is a a human authority. Jesus is establishing this. And as far back as as Genesis chapter 9, Genesis chapter 9, 6, God gives a directive of what's to be done with a man who kills another person. That is the first directive that he's giving to establish earthly authority over other human beings, a governmental authority. So it dates very far back. But there are verses that really give us clues as to how we should be. Now, you will meet Christians, and I'm telling you, you're going to meet all sorts of people. I've met all of you. Some Christians say you should not pay tax because our government doesn't follow God, so we shouldn't pay tax. And this is really a pretense because they don't want to pay taxes. And, and, uh, um, and, and because the scriptures are actually clear on this, I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to be reading from verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. We have multiple instructions in the New Testament, in the epistles that instruct us about earthly authorities and how we are to view earthly authorities and how we're to deal with them. Governing authorities and also other authorities in our lives. And we're going to read just one of those many passages about this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to kings as to one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free men, do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrow when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it patiently, patiently enduring it, this finds favor with God. 
Okay, so in verse 13, he says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. He is giving us instruction. So remember what Jesus established in his teaching there in, in, uh, in Matthew was that there are two authorities. There is God's authority, you render to Him, but there's also human authority. He says, you submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Why do you do this? For the Lord's sake. Why do we do this? Because God tells us to. For the Lord's sake. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by Him for the punishment of evildoers. Now, you will go through different phases in your life. It, it, it's sinusoidal as to whether you like the president who's elected or not. Trust me, it, it changes all the time. It goes back and forth. We are instructed that we are to honor those in, the, in, in office. The scriptures talk about this. He says that, that uh, we are to submit ourselves to the king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. We are to honor this. And as believers, we are to be exemplary in this. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Because there are foolish people that will try to cause us to rise up. Now, we have constitutional rights, thankfully, in this country, where we can assemble, we can gather, we can voice our grievances. In many parts of the world, in fact, almost in all parts of the world, you can't do that. You go to many parts of the world that even are, you know, things look very peaceful. But for example, Singapore, great country, I love Singapore. But you can't have public gatherings to uh, protest the things that the government is doing. They will silence that very, very quickly. Uh, uh, but we can work within the parameters we have in this country. We live in another country. We are to honor what's there in that country. It says in verse 15, For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So you will find people in your life that will ask you to do things and join with them in that which is evil. Don't do it. Remember what the Word of God says. In verse 16 it says, As free men, do not use your freedom as a covering for evil but use it as bond slaves of God. So in other words, we commit ourselves as bond slaves. A bond slave is, is somebody who willingly gives themselves over to another. It is not that God enslaves us, is that I willingly give of myself for the Lord and for what He wants. As bond slaves, we are serving. He says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the King. Now, this comes right back into our daily lives as well. It says in verse 18, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrow when suffering unjustly. So remember, in Rome, in the Roman Empire, slavery was not a black-white issue. Everybody when their country was taken over by the Romans, there was great slavery, white and black, every color was a slave in Rome. And they had so many slaves, it started to be a real problem because there were more slaves than there were citizens. 
started causing real problems. So what he's talking about in this portion, if you read up top, he's starting to address those who are even in slavery. You say, well, I, I thought slavery is not good. It's not. And in other portions, Paul teaches to Philemon, he says, there's a better way. If you're a believer, let your slaves go. Let them go. That's the highest way. But the reality of where society was at the time is that there were people who were enslaved. That's the reality of it. And he says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Now, if the word of God to them is servants, be submissive to your masters, how much more us that we are to be submissive to our bosses, to those who are over us. I have bosses, I have a department chair who is in that position because I told the dean this would be a good department chair, put them in that position. But now they're in that position. They have rank over me. We have a dean that's over that individual, and then we have a provost that's over the dean, and then we have the president, and then we have the board that's over the president. All of those are my authorities. All of them. I have authorities that I have to answer to. And he says that you are to be submissive to your masters with all respect. And you think, well, you don't have to be submissive. You could say what you want. No, I can't. And I'll tell you, one way to really advance in your career is to honor your superior, is to honor your boss. One way to really advance in your career is to honor your boss. And when people are sitting around and speaking negatively of their boss and speaking negatively of things, just have nothing to do with it. And remember, you can change the entire tenor of a conversation with a word. You can just speak a word and say, it's always been good to me. It's been, it's been good to me. You can change a conversation just with a word. It's amazing what, 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 you, can, what you can accomplish. You know, just, just uh, not too long ago, I was with a group of people and, and uh, some of the administration is leaving. And I said some things about my feelings about some of the administrators there, there at Rice, that I never should have said in, 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 a, in a public setting like I had said. I never should have done that. And so, so um, you know, I, there, there are times that, that, uh, that I'm just like you. You know, I've, I've got to catch myself. And I've got to try to find my way and, and uh, uh, get things corrected in my own life. And people that I need to go to and ask for their forgiveness. But he talks about this, that we are to honor. We are to honor those who are, who are over us. You can really excel in your job if you will honor your boss. And I've always tried to do this. So whenever I was in a church, I would always try to... Be- befriend the pastor. I wanted the pastor to be my friend. So even when I was a college student, I made that pastor my friend and I was at his service. And I would help him. I'd help him carry furniture. I'd be, and they and I became really close. This is every church I was ever in. I became good friends with the pastor because I wanted to honor them because they were my pastor. And oh, they, they not only knew my name, they knew my brother's name, they knew my mother's name, they knew my father's name, they were praying for me. That's how close we got. And I was just a college student. But I wanted to show respect and honor to these people. And I never called them by their first name. I always called them by their, by their title. I'd call them, for example, there was one of, the, uh, one of my pastors, his name was Pastor Koshi. I'd call him either Pastor Koshi or Dr. Koshi. 
And, and uh, uh, then when I was in graduate school, there was Pastor Dell. He was a professor, and lots of people just call him Dell. I never would, because he's my pastor. I wanted to show him honor and respect. President Lebrun at, at Rice University, he keeps telling me, just call me David, and I just can't do it. I said, I just can't do it. You're President Lebrun. And, and uh, he says, you can call me David. I said, okay, President Lebrun. And, uh, uh, and because I want to show honor to this man. I have mentors that, that, that uh, my PhD mentor, to this day, I will not call him by his first name. Everybody calls him, but I don't do it. Call him Professor Nagishi. To my postdoc mentor, I call him Professor Trost. I will never call him by his, his first name. You say, well, that's kind of silly. It's just something that I want to honor these men. I want to honor them. And, and uh, I need to honor my, the chair of my department. And I have seen people oppose authority in the workplace. And you may think that, no, they, I'm so valuable. They really need me. I'll tell you, you will fall. You will fall. You come against authority. There is a way to address authority. About 15 years ago, there was a chair in the department that I felt was saying things that really were not right about me in, in, in faculty meetings. And I asked them to come to my office and have a meeting with me. And I told them the way I felt. And I said, you know, you said things in faculty meeting. You could well have just said that to me. There was no need to have said, that, said it that way to the entire department. I said, do you see? How, how that shouldn't be done that way, that you could have just said it to me like this. And I asked him the question. He said, you're right. There was a way of dealing with an issue. And I remember once I went to one of my, pa- my pastor, and I was, just, I was just a graduate student, and I went to, to one of my pastors, and I said, you know, you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have done that. And he says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. He says, he says you know, there's a way to approach authority. And the way is you first ask them why they did what they did. He says, now let me explain to you why I did what I did. And after I heard his explanation, I was like, whoa, you are right. I am very wrong. I didn't even understand the situation. So I needed to even learn how to address authority privately. I wasn't doing it publicly. I wasn't speaking behind his back. But even to go and say, why did you do this? Then once I got his perspective, then, then it made sense, the decision that he had made. Learning how to honor authority will bring you up so much in your work if you learn how to honor authority. And you may say, you know, so, so the chair of my department was an assistant professor when I was a full professor with, with a chaired professorship, meaning that I'm not, I'm not chairman of the department. I just have somebody who supplements my salary. That's what a chaired professorship means. And so I had a very big title when he was just coming in as assistant professor. But now he's chair of the department. He's chairperson of the department. He is formally my boss. And that's okay. Because it's a thankless position, really. I wouldn't want it. But I respect those folks that will give their time for it. And yes, I installed him in that position in the sense that I told the dean this would be a good person for that position. But now that he's in that position, I honor him as my boss. He is my boss. And, and, uh, and this is something that Jesus is establishing. Jesus establishes this. 
And in Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 7, it talks about the same sort of thing. And it says, even pay taxes to whom taxes are due in Romans chapter 13. So if you think that you can get away without paying taxes, you say, well, the government isn't any good, so I don't want to pay taxes. Compared to the Roman government, this is who Paul is saying you've got to pay taxes to. To Rome. It was oppressive. Kept lots and lots of people in slavery, could just crucify people at a whim. Paul said, pay taxes. Pay taxes. And shut the mouths of the foolish people through it. Then he goes on and he talks about servants. And he talks about bearing up. And he says, well, you don't know my boss. My boss, boss is so mean. Okay. He says in verse 18, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrow when suffering unjustly. Look at that. Not every decision that is made on our behalf is just. In the workplace, not every decision is just. But it says it finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrow while suffering unjustly. Look at God, the way God just flips this thing around. He says it finds favor with God if you suffer unjustly. He says if, if you're just suffering for something you did, you're on your own. But if when you do what is right and you suffer for it patiently, endure, patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. You want to find favor with God? Sometimes you're going to suffer unfairly. And what I tell people is, is your boss really mean to you? Find out what does your boss like? What does your boss like? Find out what they like and get that for them. And uh, uh, do they like Starbucks coffee? What, find out what kind of Starbucks they like and just when you go out for lunch, just bring them back a cup of that Starbucks and just give it to them. Because the scriptures say you overcome evil with good. Acts of good cause you to overcome evil. If you do evil to somebody, you will hate them all the more. The Germans demonstrated this. They hated the Jews and successively they did worse and worse and worse to them to the point of now exterminating them and it still didn't pacify their hatred. They hated them all the more. When you do acts of good, the scriptures say you overcome evil with acts of good. The scriptures go so far as to say he has saved us for good works. You want to know theologically one of the main reasons why you're saved? To do good works. To be His hands and His feet here on earth. You overcome evil with acts of good. You think, well, when He's good to me, I'll be good to Him. That's exactly like the unbeliever thinks. He has called us. He has called us to do acts of good. Remember, it is the forgiver. It is the forgiver who has to pay the cost of the one who is forgiven. That is what Jesus demonstrated. It is the forgiver. Jesus was the forgiver. Paid the price of the one, us, who were forgiven. We are to, we are to bear this price. You find out what they like and you get it for them. There was one young lady, I, I, I asked her, I said, I said well, what does your boss do? Well, does he read any magazines? Yeah, my boss reads these... these uh, Hunting and gun magazines. I said, that's it. Men love hunting and gun magazines. It makes no sense to women. But it, it, it's a guy thing. And they just 
just some guys just love it, you know. Get them a, a magazine about knives and guns, and they just they said, you go, you go to the magazine shop and you buy him a copy of this and just give it to him. She did. She said he was surprised. You do works of good for them, and it will bring you up in your company where you are. You do works of good and always honor them. And if you think, well, you know, I'll put my foot down, I'll stand up to this. Just remember, everything that I've seen in my life, those who have opposed the administration thinking that they were so bold and everything, it was always, always real pain in their life was caused by it. If they had just honored the administration, talked with them, you make the administration your friend. I'll give you another example. When I moved 15, 16 years ago from the University of South Carolina to Rice. The person who went before me, uh, there was another person who, who went before me who had gotten a, a, a job at another university and when he was leaving, he had to negotiate for all the equipment that was in his lab so that he could move it to the other university. And he just wrote this threatening letter to the chairman of the department and said, you know, that equipment was bought for me. You know, it's, most of it's on grants. It's mine. I'm taking it. And the chairman just said, you're not taking a thing. You're not getting a thing. You have that other university take the money that they were going to give you to buy this equipment. Well, when I was coming to, to Rice, what I did is I wrote a very kind letter and I said, the state of South Carolina owns all the equipment in my laboratory. Here's how we might want to put a valuation on it. It's 10 years old. If we consider depreciation 10% a year, it has very little value now but I'd be willing to pay anything you like to get that equipment because it is owned by the state of South Carolina. They came back, they said, the equipment's yours, take it. I mean, and Rice had given me all this money to buy the equipment out. And so now I had all this money that I could use for other things. Because Rice said, that's fine, we gave you the money so I could use it to buy more equipment on top of the other equipment that I was getting. And I think that I paid at the end of the day for, for something like half a million dollars of equipment, it was $13,000 in, in a tax bill for all of the equipment. It was just amazing. When you honor those and you put them and you say, look, you, you understand, you say, in deference to the authority that is here, this is the situation and I submit to you. I mean, people just give you things. They just give it to you. You honor authority. You do this. And, and, and look in verse 21 of, second, of 1 Peter chapter 2. For you have been called for this purpose. You've been called for this purpose. He just talked about bearing up under suffering. You've been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threat, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. Look at what God calls us to. Something much higher. This is what he calls us to. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of Your Word. And Father, I pray that You would just drill this home into our hearts, that we would honor authority, that we would pay our taxes, that we would 
do the things that are right as we represent you here on earth. And Father, I pray for these young people that they would learn respect for authority. Father, that they would learn to honor authority in the workplace, in the places where they reside, that they would speak well of those who are over them, even when those who are over them are unreasonable, because this is what you've called us to. Father, do this in their lives and let them see the great blessing of it. The grace of God be upon them, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.